Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. In the heat of summer, we start to long for those cold evenings where you can cozy up by a warm fire and a good book. But for now, it's time to pull up that beach chair and crack open a good old summer read. It's our summer reading show. Buckle in as we dive into the best books of the season. Whether you're looking for new fiction to thrill you or a memoir to inspire you, we've got the reading recommendations to make the most of these long summer days. And we're talking about reading for all ages. There are so many benefits when it comes to summer reading for children. Studies show that not only does reading help with preventing summer learning loss, it also helps with social-emotional reading. And starting us off are Connecticut Children's Librarians, Kim Poe and Mary Parmalee. Kim and Mary, welcome to where we live today. Thank you. Yeah, nice to be here. And you can also tell us what you are reading right now. Call us at 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or leave a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So, Kim, I want to start with you. Tell us what's happening at Connecticut Libraries right now. Are there summer reading events that people should know about? Yes, there are a plethora of summer reading events and programs happening right now. There are actually 190 public libraries in the state of Connecticut, more public libraries than towns, and almost every single one of them is doing a program for uh, preschool, elementary, middle grade, young adult, and uh, adults as well. So um, you almost can't throw a rock without hitting a public library in this state, and I guarantee you every single one of them is doing something. That is a stat that I didn't know, and I love it. That's that is amazing. Um, and you know, before we get more specific into the Connecticut Reading Challenge, can you tell us about the partnership that you're doing with the State Department of Energy and Environmental Protection? Absolutely. So we partnered with um, DEEP, the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection State Park and Public Outreach Division for the first time last year. Um, And the program was so great. Uh, We partnered with them. They do a program called No Child Left Inside, where they organize programs over the summer, like fishing day, boating day, where they invite families to come down, learn about these things and participate in the activities. And I was there giving away books and information on summer reading. We enjoyed our partnership so much that we decided we wanted to start a Connecticut story walk program. So a story walk is when um, pages of a picture book are loving and gently pulled apart um, and mounted on a sort of structure along a path along the outside of a library. We partnered with Deep as well as a local um, wood artist to build enough uh, permanent story walk structures to put into four different state parks or forests in um, in Connecticut. So we have two that are up right now and available for people to visit. There is one at Dinosaur State Park in Rocky Hill. We just opened the one at Kellogg Environmental Center in Derby, Connecticut. 
And coming very soon, because it is a process to get these things into the ground, there'll be one at Goodwin um, Conservation Education Center in Hampton and Hammonasset uh, Beach at Meeks Point Nature Center. And uh, so far, people have been loving them and having a great time. I mean, you're reading and you're walking, so seems like a good combination. I appreciate you saying that you lovingly and gently pulled apart the books because I think there are some people out there that might be twitching right now. <laughs> Lo- lovingly and gently, I pro- with the utmost respect, I promise you. Always. And, you know, for our listeners that don't know about, about what's happening, can you tell us more uh, in more detail what the Connecticut Reading Challenge is and how families can get involved? Absolutely. So um, we also partner with the Department of Education. Uh, There is a program called the Governor's Summer Reading Challenge. It has been around, I think, since 1999 was the the final consensus. Um, And what we do is we help uh, put together various reading lists for K through 12. um, And kids read and track their books if they'd like to. Um, When they get back to school, they share how many books they read and what they read with the schools. Um, And they get kind of like celebrated, right, for continuing to read over the summer. Um, It's a really great program that we do with them. We've been doing it for longer than I've been here at the State Library. Um, And as far as I know, uh, parents and caretakers really love having guidance and helping their children find what to read to keep them occupied over the summer. Um, And it's a great program that we hope to continue to grow in, in future years. Well, there's nothing like a good list that you can uh, check off from, right? <laughs> so, Absolutely. There's so many books in so little time. So a little help goes a long way. That is the realest thing ever this morning so far. Um, and the theme <laughs> of this year's reading challenge is find your voice. So can you tell us more about this theme and how libraries around the state are incorporating it? Absolutely. So the State Library partners with an organization called iRead out of Illinois, um, and they do a lot of the heavy lifting. I'm going to be really honest with you. Um, They help identify a theme every year. Um, They reach out to very famous and popular artists to help do a lot of the artwork and graphics um, to go along with summer reading. This year, like you said, it's Find Your Voice. And one of the things that I love the most about these themes is that they are so versatile. So each library, like I said, more public libraries in towns are very different, you know, like the the community and sort of the needs in one town might be very different from the town two towns over. So people are able to kind of take the theme and adapt it in the way that works best for them. I know this summer that there are some libraries who are incorporating American Sign Language education classes into their programming because that is a different type of voice, right, Um, that young kids in particular may not have been exposed to yet. I know there is a town that is doing an art and screen printing program with their teens, allowing their teens to do artwork, learn to screen print, and then um, their big final sort of like prize for summer reading, they're going to put this artwork that these teens have designed with their own type of artistic voice onto these items that they'll be giving away at the end of summer. And one of my favorite programs is a town that's um, doing improv courses. They've called it Improvability with a local partner for adults who um, are intellectually and uh, developmentally disabled. So uh, people are taking this and they are running with it in their own special and unique ways. And I think that's one of the most fun things about the summer. 
And here's a here's an interesting thought. You're the children and young adult con- consultant for the Connecticut State Library, and it, I find it really interesting that the theme of this year's summer reading is uh, our summer reading challenge is find your voice. You know, in a year where librarians are navigating through a lot of ch- different kinds of challenges across the nation, like book bans, for example, what are you seeing here in the state of Connecticut? The first thing I want to say is I'm really grateful to be here in Connecticut, where there is a lot of support against um, any book banning initiatives or book challenge initiatives at public and school libraries in particular. Uh, We're seeing a lot of what you're kind of hearing about. We're seeing folks who want books removed or moved who are about um, are about like the LGBTQ plus community, um, you know, things with uh, written by black authors about black protagonists. I mean, we're, we're seeing these challenges pop up. But what I also love that we're seeing is we're seeing community members push back, um, like expeditiously push back. Uh, this isn't what they want. It, lo- it seems like it's sort of a small, um, but a uh, organized and robust group of folks who are trying to um, remove these books from easy access. And in public libraries in particular, that's not something that uh, we support. And that's nothing that the American Library Association supports, which is our um, you know, national parent company. Well, and you mentioned earlier that uh, there's a partnership between your department and the, and the State Department of Education that runs this challenge, and they provided a book list of some of the great book recommendations for all ages to get kids to start reading. So can you tell us about some of your favorite books from that list? I can. Um, one of my favorite books, it's a YA book, it's called Ace of Spades by uh, Farida Abike Amide. And it's the book was so good, I actually asked a coworker to spoil the ending for me. I'm a very emotional reader. And if I start to get a little panicked at what's happening with these characters, I have been known to put a book down and walk away because I am stressed. Um, and it's a great book uh, about these two Black students who go to a predominantly white school. and their secrets start to be leaked uh, throughout the school. Uh, what'll happen is like everyone will get a text message in the school at the same time, except for whichever of these two students the secret and the message is about. So they kind of band together to uh, try to figure out who's doing this, why they're doing this. And when you get to the end and it's all kind of revealed and laid out for you, uh, I pride myself on, on sort of being able to spot these things at least a couple chapters out. And they had me. I had a clue. It's a great read and it's on the summer reading list this year. I've only spoiled myself once and it's because I was extra stressed and that's something we can talk about during our next show. (laughs) Absolutely. In a panic. In a panic. Absolutely a panic. And I want to bring in Mary here. Uh, She's the director of youth services at Westport Library. Mary, I want you to also uh, share with us some of the events that's happening at your library this summer. I'd be happy to. Um, Well, as Kim said, just like all the other public libraries in Connecticut, we have our summer reading program. And we are so fortunate because um, we have two wonderful sponsors. The Westport Young Women's League has sponsored us, I think, for generations. Um, And this year we were joined, um, but they were joined by the First County Bank Foundation. And that enables us to reward kids for reading over the summer with books that they get to select and keep. So we have over a hundred titles on our prize card and whether it's through our bingo card or through recording minutes, um, they get to earn these three books. Um, And then also we have um, a local business of Shake Shack that gives 
us a they get a coupon for a free shake from Shake Shack when they're halfway through our challenge. So um, we have had um, already we have more kids signed up this year than we had at the end of summer last year. So um, it seems like um, kids are really getting back into reading, which as a librarian, it warms my heart. Um, we also have a lot of programs that bring kids into the library over the summer. Our executive director wants us to be not just about reading over the summer, but also learning over the summer. So um, again, we have this fabulous family, the Seagulls, who have funded for this the previous years, this year, and also now the next two years, two big programs. One is called Camp Explore, and that's a series of hands-on workshops for middle school kids. Um, and we've already had Makey Makey and um, African mask making this year. And coming up, we have a beaded jewelry making workshop um, and Matica Circus Arts are coming. Um, and those are for grades six to eight, um, but Matica Circus Arts is doing a performance um, for the general public as well. The lovely thing about this is that the Siegel family has funded the supplies for, Westport is an admittedly affluent community. They have funded the supplies for libraries in less affluent communities. Their librarians come to our library and participate in the programs. We video them and then they can use the videos and the supplies provided by the Seagulls to run the workshops at their own libraries um, over the school year. Um, we also have our summer learning clubs, which is um, eight weeks of classes um, varying from um, grade to grade, but for elementary and middle school kids. And it's three hours to six hours a week on a different topic. Um, we've done architecture and um, the Olympics, and we still have to come music, space, people who change the world, flight, code making and code breaking. And these are classes that are limited to 12 kids. And we have two certified school teachers in each class. Um, and again, it's free to the community because of, you know, our wonderful donors. Um, and then, of course, we are continuing with all of our regular early literacy classes that Kim is very familiar with. Um, Mondays through Friday, we have something happening every single day, um, sometimes multiple things happening every single day um, with just dealing with getting kids brains ready for reading. Well, it sounds like you are keeping everyone very busy this summer and sort of leads into my next question is we're going to be talking about adult fiction and other reads later in the hour. But until then, we have to ask, you know, why do we do uh, summer reading for kids specifically? Well, from my perspective, there's there's two reasons. Number one is, um, and again, this is well documented, that if kids' brains are not engaged over the course of the summer, when they get back to school, um there it takes a couple of months to get them back up to speed and over years of summers of not being engaged um they fall behind academically the kids that aren't reading over the summer so and that's called summer slide um and it seems to be a topic that everybody is is familiar with the second reason why i'm so happy to see so many kids reading this summer and reading the types of books that they're reading is that um, the some of the later research is, well, first of all, there's been a drop in empathy generationally. It's And I don't know how they measure it, I'll be quite honest. Um, but empathy in uh, is dropping over the course of years. 
And um, there is a theory that is supported by some research um, that shows that when you're reading a book, the same part of your brain lights up as if you're having the experience. And they're hoping that that will help to stop this slide in empathy. Um, and that's one of the reasons why at our library, we encourage deep reading, um, which is what our school system does. So rather than rewarding for pages like we did years ago, now we reward for minutes spent reading because you know I have read books where I wanna go back and reread passages because they were so well written. And that's what we're encouraging kids to do. And uh, Kim, I want to bring you in here real quick. We've got about a, a couple of minutes here, but I also would love to hear what you think about how does reading build uh, empathy in kids and how, do, how does it help them retain knowledge as well? Absolutely. Uh, there's something that many children's librarians are very familiar with, um, and it's the concept of mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors from Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop. Um, and when she talks about mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors, it's um, how important it is to have books that kids can read and it can reflect their lived experience, um, books that can show uh, a child or a reader the experiences of others, um, and books that can, uh, in a way, allow you to step into the lives and the experiences experience of another person whose life is different from yours. Um, and I I and we all as public librarians in school as well um, support that because it's also a controlled and safe environment for kids to uh, learn about the experiences of others, to ask questions to their adults, their um, the adults in their lives and their caretakers about the experiences of others. And it starts a dialogue and an understanding that can be uh, hard to find uh, otherwise. Many of us um, sort of live surrounded by people whose lives are very similar to ours or don't notice um, the fact that there might be some people uh, who are sitting in your classroom and they might be experiencing homelessness, but you just, you don't know. Um, so books provide opportunities for kids to to learn um, in, in a way that's developmentally appropriate for them and, and very safe for them to engage in um, that, you know, is a little hard to come by in other places. I think every children's librarian thinks that the book that they're handing to a kid is going to change their life. And that is yeah. a beautiful sentiment, I think, to end this segment with right now. Today, we're talking about summer reading with Mary Parmalee, who's a director of youth services at the Westport Library, and Kim Poe, who's a children and young adult consultant for the Connecticut State Library. And they'll both be staying with us to continue to talk about what they're reading this summer and their recommendations. So if you have kids in school or just want to broaden your own reading horizons, you won't want to miss it. And we also want to hear about the books that you're picking up. So let us know, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. 
The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. We hope you're taking some time to read this summer, whether you're diving into that bestseller that's been collecting dust on your nightstand or revisiting a dog-eared old favorite, or if you're like me and you can't decide what to read so you're reading like 10 books at once, all I can say is, well, good luck to us. But here to talk about reading for all ages and the benefits of summer reading for adolescents is Mary Parmalee and Kim Poe. They're both children librarians in our state. Uh, Welcome to the both of you back uh, to the program. Thank you. Thank you. And just a reminder for our listeners, too, you can let us know what you're reading, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So, Kim, I want to start with you. Um, with books for elementary school kids and preschool age kids, what books are you reading and recommending? One of my favorite books that actually is on the governor's summer reading list is a book called We're Better Together, a book about community. And in light of this year's theme, um, I think it's absolutely adorable, um, particularly in story times and when talking to young kids, we're always talking about community helpers and um, doing things together in a small team. Uh, that's exactly what this what this book is about. Um, it's about playing together and making music together and when working together together, uh, we succeed towards whatever our shared goal is. Um, And it's absolutely adorable. And I hope that everyone reads it at least once. And Mary, I want to ask you the same question too, really, you know, what books are you recommending for elementary school kids? Well, we've got, we recommend a lot. um, But one of the, one of the most popular books and and one of the ones that really touches your heart is um, Always Clementine by Carly uh, Sorosiak. And it is about this little mouse, Clementine. Um, And it's really a story about friendships because Clementine is a lab mouse um, and she has had her DNA altered. So she dreams in Latin. She can solve complex mathematical equations. So she is an extremely smart lab mouse. And then a lab technician frees her and she gets to discover the entire world and all of the things in the real world. But for Clementine, she can't truly enjoy it because her friends, Rosie the chimpanzee and the other mice are back at the lab. Um, So it's an adventure story um, and it is in the form of letters from Clementine to Rosie the chimpanzee. And it shows us that goodness is something that we have to define for ourselves and that courage and wisdom are not proportionate to size. Well, I think your description of that book just melted our entire studio. And I think every one of us is going to go out and buy or borrow the book immediately after this show. So thank you for that. I want to ask you to, you know, middle school is really also the age where kids can can start diving into some more serious reads. So on that note, what books are you recommending and what topics? Well, two of, 
Go ahead, Kim. You go first. Okay. I well, I just want to take a moment to applaud Connecticut and say Connecticut middle grade authors are thriving right now. Connecticut middle grade authors are living their best lives. And I'm sure Mary can agree with me because everyone knows this book. And this is also on the governor's summer reading list from the desk of Zoe Washington by Janae Marks. And quite frankly, anything else that Janae Marks has written is absolutely stupendous. Um, in From the Desk of Zoe Washington, um, Zoe is a girl living her best life um, uh, with her mom and her stepdad, but she actually has never met her dad because he was accused of a crime and was uh, ultimately sent to jail where he has been for, I believe, almost her entire life. Um, but so as Joey, Zoe kind of begins to investigate and kind of want to learn a little bit more about uh, Marcus. I think she finds some letters that he wrote to her where he says he didn't do it. Um, she kind of begins to take him at his word and begins to send some emails and do some sleuthing and admittedly lying to her parents, don't do that, um, to try to figure out if maybe he really is innocent and maybe she has lived her life with her mom and a stepdad whom she both loves, but She's missed out on an opportunity with her birth dad because he was sentenced for a crime that he didn't commit. And it is an absolutely amazing book. I was able to um, meet Janae Marks when she came to speak at a local bookstore, Possible Futures in New Haven, Connecticut. And it is a must read. And again, we got to support our, our local Connecticut authors because they are doing the most right now in the best way. Well, you're absolutely reading my mind because I was going to ask you about the desk from Zoe Washington. So I got a little preview there. <laughs> <laughs> That's Yay! amazing. It's so good. Well, and then I want to um, ask Mary, too. You know, you spoke with our producer about another book called Answers in the Pages. And this is actually a book for middle schoolers about book banning. So can you tell us more about that? Yeah, there's actually two books about for, about book banning that are um, on our recommended list this year. Um, Answers in the Pages is by, let me just pull it up because I can never remember all of this stuff. We have such fabulous books. Um, Answers in the Pages is by David Levithon, and then there's Attack of the Black Rectangles by Amy Sarah King, who also, they both also write YA books, and um, they deal with different types of censorship. Answers in the Pages is about a, um, it's a book challenge itself where the parent reads the end of the book and that's the way she reads books. She can never wait to get to the end. So she spoils every book for herself, as we were talking about earlier. And she just reads the end and comes to a conclusion about the book that is um, may or may not be true. Um, and um, as a consequence, she tries to get the book pulled from the curriculum. And it goes through the entire process of what, how the kids feel, how he, how her son feels, how the rest of the kids in the class feels, how the teacher feels, um, the author is brought in. Um, and it's really about communication because by the end, there's a lot more communication happening in the town than there was before the challenge occurred. And then an attack of the black rectangles, it's actually where words are blacked out in every copy of a book by a teacher. And, and that's based on something that actually happened in um, Amy Sarah King's um, son's classroom. And you also mentioned another title called The Best Liars in Riverview. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. That is, um, and it's it's interesting because so many of my favorite authors had books come out this year. And this is actually a debut novel 
by Lynn Thompson. And it is about um, two friends, Joel and Aubrey, and they've been friends for years. They have a lot of traditions. One of them involves an overnight camping trip every time they finish a grade. So they've now finished sixth grade. They have their overnight camping trip. And in the morning, Aubrey goes home and Joel disappears. You go back to then in the book to the beginning of sixth grade, and it takes you through the entire sixth grade year. And you see how Joel has been bullied throughout the year. And it's not like massive bullying that's going to bring a lot of attention. It's the little pushes and shoves and words and the effect it has on him over the course of the year. But you also see it from Aubrey's perspective and how Aubrey sees the impact that the bullying has on Joel. Now, the important thing to know in this book is there is a zero tolerance policy for bullying in the schools, but it isn't enforced. So when Joel disappears, Aubrey knows more than Aubrey is willing to say because Aubrey doesn't trust the adults because they didn't do anything about it during the school year. So you go through the entire school year and then you come back to the present day and it really turns into a mystery of where is Joel? What happened to Joel? It's a phenomenal read that just grabs you. And I mean, literally the when I was reading it, I could feel how Joel felt. And all I could think of was, it's like when you put a frog in water and you turn the heat up very slowly so it doesn't know it's being cooked. And this is at the end of the year and, and Joel's cooked. That is the description of the year, I want to say, for a book that I'm about to, I need to add that obviously to my to be read list, which is like a black hole, but that's also a topic for another day. And then we've been talking about uh, readers who are younger and also for high school age kids. You know, this is also normally the time where they have assigned summer reading, but it's also a time for pleasure reading. So, uh, Kim, do you have any books that you are recommending for high school age kids and young adults? I do. There's a book that actually just came out, I want to say in February or March, and I was really lucky to meet the author at um, the American Library Association annual conference in Chicago this year, and it's called The Shadow Sister by Lily Mead. Um, and it's a book about two sisters uh, who do not get along. They they don't at all. You've got kind of the older sister who's the cheerleader with the boyfriend and all the you know really great friends, and the younger sister, about two or three years younger, um, who's, who, who's probably a lot more like me, just kind of just kind of chilling and living her best life. Um, and one day the older sister disappears. So when the book starts, the, the older sister is actually missing. And, um, you know, the, the city is out looking for her. Her parents are constantly on the news. Um, and one day the sister just shows back up, the older sister. She doesn't have any memory of where she's been. She barely remembers her parents. She barely remembers her friend. The one thing that she remembers is her younger sister. And she remembers that there's something that she's supposed to do for her younger sister. So it, the book bounces back and forth between these siblings now, but also their relationship in the past when they were younger and when they were close and as they sort of um, aged a bit and began to grow apart. Um, and the younger sister is very untrusting of her older sister. She thinks that maybe she's faking it, that maybe she disappeared for attention. But as the book progresses, we realize that something really has happened to this older sister. And it may have something to do with other Black female teenagers that have disappeared in the city but has not returned. 
So the book is kind of this mystery of figuring out where this older sister was, while we also learn a bit about their relationship and about a secret that the older sister had that she was about to reveal to the community, which may or may not have had something to do with her disappearance. It was a thriller of all thrillers, which may have nothing to do with fun in the sun, but gosh darn it, it's a great book and I really want everyone to read it. Well, I was going to say panicking already, but having to <laughs> add that to the list clearly. So uh, I'm going to be having to call you up um, when I'm panicking. So just I'm FYI. <laughs> well, I got you. I also want to ask about another book called Monday's Not Coming. Can you tell oh. us about that book? Monday's Not Coming. That's the one that you're, you might just want to come over and sit next to me as you okay. read it. And I will Sounds good. You Sounds like a date. And feed you snacks. Yes, please. Uh, Monday's Not Coming is just a wild ride. And it's a book that I actually suggest immediately after you finish it, just flip back to the first page and read it again. Uh, it's about two friends. And it's also, I think I read a lot of books where there's sort of time jumping from past to future because that happens in this one as well. Um, and uh, you've got the main character and her best friend is missing. Um, she's she's not there. No one seems to know where she is or people maybe do know where she went, but they don't want to tell our main character about it. Uh, also in the book, we have a situation where uh, these two friends, as they're in high school, like their lives have kind of veered into slightly different directions, although they they are still, in fact, best friends. Uh, we flash back in the book to a year before, two years before, three years before, so that we can see their friendship grow and to kind of see how they, you know, as as teenagers do, you, you kind of grow in different directions. Um, but when we're reading the book in present time, our main character is absolutely frantic because she doesn't understand why she's the only one who seems to be worried about this missing teenage girl. Uh, no one wants to talk to her. No one wants to tell her what they know. Um, no one wants to help. And she's absolutely just like distraught and confused about it. But when we get to the end of the book, we realize why no one has been saying anything. And we realize that nothing is the way that we thought it was. Absolutely nothing. Well, um, I Yeah, Tiffany Jackson, incredibly. Uh, if you pick up any book that she's read, just be prepared mm. to just have your soul smushed and crunched by the time you have read the last page. Just just walk into it knowing that. Well, I really appreciate that description as well, because I typically describe my experiences with that is my heart gets taken out and thrown into the street and then the semi bus runs over it is kind of my <laughs> typical experience. So I appreciate that's that. that's about right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so, Mary, I uh, want to jump to you, too. You know, what are young adults loving at your library? Panic reading, it sounds like, is a theme. So if you want to continue that, go for it. Well, let's talk about let's talk about something that's a little bit lighter, um, just for a start. Um, there's Drizzle Dreams and Love Struck Things by Maya Prasad. And this is actually another sister book. It's about four sisters um, and their romances. So it's a nice teen romance um, but it's four sisters with four romances over the course of four seasons of the year. Um, and it's told from each of their perspectives. And it um, just it's just a lovely um, teen romance. Um, but if you want something that's more thrilling, we've got The Island by Natasha Preston. And this is about a group of teen media social media influencers. So because they're influencers, they get invited to an amusement park set on an island 
the week before the amusement park opened so that they can show off their exclusive visit to all of their, their followers. Um, and obviously they're excited about it. It's a once in a lifetime experience. Um, but then they realize they can't get off the island and one of them goes missing. So it is a true page turner, fast paced, everything that you want. Um, and just a nice, quick, engrossing read. It's quick because you can't stop turning those pages. It's giving me a little bit of Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants and Agatha Christie vibes. Mm, that I bet, yeah. Yep. All right. Adding that to the list. <laughs> and really quickly for uh, for Kim and, and for Mary, really, do you both have any old favorites or books that you like to reread? Let's start with you, Mary. Well, you know, it's interesting because I was asked about this and I, I, I honestly don't have time for rereading. Um, and I keep saying to myself, oh, one of these days you're going to find the time to reread this. You're going to find the time to reread that. And um, I have to say, I always think of Harry Potter as a book I want to reread because I would read it through a different lens now. But instead of rereading that, I would highly recommend that anybody that liked Harry Potter read two different series that have come out, The Marvelers by Danielle Clayton and Nick Blake and The Remarkables by Angie Thomas. Again, these are YA authors, but they're doing middle grade books now. And both of these books have all of the elements that people loved about Harry Potter. There's the mystery, the adventure, the fantasy, the world building, um, and so well done that you cannot stop reading them. The Marvelers, the second book just came out. Well, it didn't come out yet. It's coming out in the fall, but I just got an advanced reading copy. And I'm waiting until I can read it uninterrupted because it's not a book that I want to read piecemeal. It's that good. Well, and Kim, because we only have about a minute left, I want to ask before you go is uh, to remind people that there are a lot of Connecticut libraries that are starting to drop late fees. So even more reason to visit your local library and get on to that summer reading. Can you tell us about that decision? I sure can. There are a lot of libraries in Connecticut. Like I said, there are 190 public libraries that it, that have begun to do exactly that. Eliminate late fines for their books, which can add up, especially for those picture books. You take out 20 at a time, you turn them in three days late, and next thing you know, there's $4 on your account. Um, so at the state, we track data by fiscal year. The amount of libraries that went fine-free on books and DVD tripled from 2020 to 2022, and I'm sure that more libraries have jumped on that bandwagon. And there are a lot of libraries, actually 101 this year, which is an increase from 58 libraries in 2020, who might still have some fines, but the way they're moving towards that fine-free mindset is that they've enabled automatic renewals for items to kind of push back the possibility of gaining those fines. And again, I'm pretty sure that from the end of the uh, 2022 fiscal year, even more libraries have done that. I'm really looking forward to the data at the end of this current fiscal year to see how many more libraries are working towards some some equitability in their uh, libraries and their communities. Well, I just got one of those auto renewals, so I really appreciate that for sure. You've been listening to Kim Poe, who's a children and young adult consultant at the Connecticut State Library, and Mary Parmalee, who's a director of youth services at the Westport Library. Thank you both so much for being with us this morning. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. And coming up next, beach readers and re-readers, we're coming for you. Attica's Bookstore Cafe in New Haven and Key Bookstore in Hartford joins us. You can also join the conversation. Tell us what you're reading, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. 
This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. So we've been talking about what everyone else is reading. So I guess I should share what I'm reading, too. I actually recently finished this really fascinating book called As I Cross a Bridge of Dreams. It was written a thousand years ago by a young Japanese girl known only as Lady Sarashina. She worked in and out of Japan's imperial court and was obsessed with romantic fiction. And I always find it very comforting and humanizing when you're reading about the life of someone who's lived so long ago on the other side of the world, and yet we all feel the same emotions and have similar wants and use fiction as a way to be comforted or to escape. But when it comes to summer, I almost always think about road trips and local adventures. So I tend to crave some of Jack Kerouac's On the Road. It's a 1957 novel based on the travels of Kerouac and his friends across the United States. And talking about summer reading cravings, joining us now to talk about what they're reading and loving in their bookshops is Mandy Dorso, who's the bookstore manager for Atticus Books in New Haven, and Kamali Harrison, who's the owner of Key Bookstore in Hartford. Thank you both so much for joining us this morning. Well, thank you for having me. So Mandy, I want to jump to you first. You know, what are you currently reading and what are you seeing people grabbing at Atticus? So um, not surprisingly, R.F. Fong's um, current bestseller, uh, Yellow Face, has been sort of flying off the shelf here. Um, sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. Um, yeah, so Yellow Face has been very popular. Um, it's a very fast-paced, um, fast-paced novel that is sort of riddled with some dark humor touches on some pretty heavy hitting topics, uh, such as racism, cultural appropriation. Um, I also just have to mention um, earlier, the segment you were uh, specifically talking about banned books. Um, I, I would definitely say that here in New Haven, it's like the more you tell somebody not to do something, the more they're gonna wanna do it. Um, so that's been really exciting in, in the bookstore specifically is having, you know, young adults and even adults coming in and really seeking those titles out that uh, might otherwise be sort of kept at bay. Um, yeah, we're, we're excited. Yeah, we have a we're lot excited. of... I was going to say, we have a lot of uh, uh, fiction lovers here at Connecticut Public as well. Uh, producers Kevin Chang Barnum and Lily Tyson have recommendations for everyone as well. Uh, Lily just finished American Mermaid by Julia Langbin, which she calls the perfect summer read. And Kevin is reading Disorientation by Elaine Xie Chow. And Mandy, I want to uh, bring you in too. Nothing quite says summer like a nice paperback fiction. So what fiction books are you picking up right now? So um, the fiction titles that have been fairly hot. So I just actually finished Blizzard by Banana Yashimoto. Um, it's a collection of stories that is, it reads like a fever dream, but it's so, so worth it. Um, so I would definitely recommend that. Uh, another popular title is actually um, Ali Broche's Hyperbole in a Hat. Um, we've been selling quite a bit of that. I feel like people need sort of a break from reality that's a little humorous. Um, and plus there's a graphic. Oh, Mandy, it sounds like you're, you're or sorry, Kamani, I think your, your Zoom might be a little bit far away. I don't know if there's something you can fix real quick. 
Um, but I want to, um, while we're waiting, I want to jump to Mandy real quick. Um, we also have been talking about rereading books for the summer as well. Do you have any recommendations or what are you rereading? Or are you a rereader? Yes. I am a rereader. This is also going to be a plug for an audio book. This is actually, um, so Kiese Lehman's Heavy, uh, an American memoir, is probably one of my favorite books of all time. Um, it's essentially a collection of letters that he has written to his grandmother and his mother. Um, again, earlier in the segment, you were touching on, you know, how reading can sort of gain you empathy. Um, this book will do all of that and more. I feel like um, his writing is probably the most honest and intentional writing that I have ever had the pleasure of reading. Um, if it, it's a book that I own in literally every format, including audiobook, which I highly recommend um, as he also reads the book. And to hear just his inflection on his own words is just breathtaking, sincerely. And Kamani, want to ask you as well, are you rereading any books or are you a rereader that you would uh, recommend? I would agree with Mary that I really don't have time to reread books when there's an infinite amount of books uh, in the future to tackle that to be read list. Um, let me think. But specifically fiction? Go for nonfiction as well. And I feel you on that too long to be read. That's always very hard to decide on. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, yeah what non so what nonfiction books are you reading? Currently, um, a book that really changed my world last year was um, Shoe Dog, which is the story of Phil Knight, the creator of Nike. And um, as a business owner myself and um, um seeking to innovate in the book space and create a culture around reading, um, reading his story was, it was so good. Um, I'm not really a memoir person, I would say, but uh, that was one of the first I've picked up in a while. And um, he's such a great writer for one and his journey, I think literally targets kind of like your sacral chakra. Like uh, there's there's so much um, tension and ups and downs of running, <laughs> excuse me, a multi-million dollar uh, uh, entity. <clears throat> and um, it, it just gave me so much hope for my business, especially being a bookstore, you know how difficult that is. And um, his journey was so inspiring. And yeah, I highly recommend Shoe Dog. Um, and then right now I'm reading uh, Up From Slavery, the story of Booker T. Washington of Tuskegee University. And absolutely incredible to hear from an ex-slave, someone who was property of another person to become, <laughs> to attracting the attention of the president of the United States. Um, it, it It's just, it's incredible. And, and Kamani, uh, we've also yeah. been talking a lot about young adult fiction uh, that's not just for young adults. So do you have any YA or children's books that you are loving right now that you would recommend for people? A thousand percent. So I'm actually excited to talk about a Connecticut-based author who actually does manga and he's been featured uh, at Comic-Cons and Blurred-Cons and all the cons across the country. 
Uh, his name is Zero Snake, and he has this manga novel uh, called Unrivaled. And um, he has a bunch of merch and everything around it. The artwork in the book is great. Um, the children come back and tell me, and their parents tell me how great the book was, how their kid didn't put it down. Um, I I can't keep that book on the shelf, to be honest with you. I'm really proud to have it in the store uh, to be able to offer that type of book. Um, and then um, I would say, let's see here. Well, I'm really Cloud glad you mentioned manga because I've been recently mm -hmm. actually thinking. I'm really glad you mentioned manga because I've been thinking about picking up more manga. So just wanted to say thanks for the, for the title and for our listeners. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, totally. I, I really that I, I when I talk about those kinds of books, I think that's kind of top tier. And then also there's a graphic novel about the Black Panther Party. Um, and and also I wanted to say that on my bookshop, I do have uh a list of all these books that I'm talking about right there on the bookshop is the NPR book recommendation list. So all of them will be linked right there, but some of them are exclusive. Like the, the manga one, um, it, it's not available on bookshop. So you got to hit me up. Well, you've heard it here. You got a hit of Kamali who owns the key bookstore in Hartford. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much for sharing that. And we also just want to shout out to some Connecticut authors that we're diving into right now here at Connecticut Public. A producer, Robin Doyle Atkins, is reading Poor Man's Feast by Connecticut author Elisa Altman. And Tess Terrible just finished the poetry collection Maple by Hartford poet Brett Maddox. I want to thank Mandy Dorso, who's a bookstore manager for Atticus Books in New Haven and Kamani Harrison, who's the owner of Key Bookstore in Hartford. You can find all of our newsroom book recommendations and some of today's recommendations on our website, ctpublic.org slash where we live. I'm Catherine Shen. Today's show is produced by Tess Terrible. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Download Where We Live anytime on your favorite podcast app. And thank you so much for listening. <laughs>